Good morning, everybody. Uh, I'm not going to lie to you, I'm a little nervous this morning about preaching, but uh, looking at you, it seems like you're just as nervous as I am, so let's get through this together and hope for the best on that one, eh? So I want to start today off by saying that I love lions. I think lions are cool. I don't know how many of you think the lions are just as cool as I do, but I think that lions are majestic, lions are powerful, lions are scary, and they're really alluring in a lot of ways. And because of how much I love lions, uh, my father, who loves me very much, decided to bring me to an abundance of zoos where I could see lions. Uh, one of those zoos that I saw is closer to the area. Um, some of you might have been there. It's called Greenview Aviaries. Uh, the place I know, we went there when I was younger and we saw porcupines, tigers, bears, uh, bison, ostriches. Um, and of course, we saw my favorite, lions. Um, now, I remember I was right up against that fence and I was looking at these lions just in complete awe and then I saw a sign uh, that said, caution, spray 15 feet. If you don't know what that means, you can ask your neighbor and they'd be happy to tell you what that means. But I didn't know what that meant at the time. I was very confused. Spray 15 feet, what does that mean for, for tigers, for lions? And so I asked my dad and he graciously, he told me what that meant. And so I promptly backed away from the fence just to avoid being sprayed by the lions. Um, unfortunately, there was a girl there who her father did not tell her uh, what that meant. And she did learn, though, uh, what that meant, spray 15 feet. It wasn't a great time for her. And why do I mention this stuff to you today? I'm mentioning you that because something, sometimes things are powerful, things are alluring, things are awesome to look at. But, in, but even when you think that you're safe, even when you think you're at a distance that you're, you're comfortable with, you're, you might not be. The spray might be 15 feet. So today I want to go through, um, uh, I want to go to 1 Peter uh, chapter 5, and I'm just going to go over two verses today. Uh, two verses that I think present to us something very interesting. They present to us a very, very big problem. A problem that is so big that it has, it radically changes our belief system. Uh, it also has probably the scariest problem that we could be facing as Christians, um, but followed by a very small answer, a very small solution that has equally as big implications. Um, so, if we read through the Bible, we see constantly there's these allusions to lions, um, about, you know, the Lion of Judah. A lot of our prominent biblical uh, stories, like uh, that of David and stuff, have to do with the slaying of lions. Um, but there's a different lion the Bible talks about in this passage that is less savory. So I'm going to start off uh, by reading First uh, Peter chapter 5, verse 8, and then I'm going to uh, go through uh, what, I'm going to try and break down to the best of my ability what's trying to be said here. Keep in mind, I am in the New King James Version, so that might be a little bit different than what you have today. So First Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. On the surface, it seems pretty self-explanatory. But when we dig really deep into this verse, we start to see that there are hidden implications here that are much more radical and much bigger than I think we realize on the first kind of run-through. So I'm going to break down word for word. The very first word that this verse starts with is be, B-E. That, that tiny word, those two letters, radically changed how we are supposed to read this verse. This verse isn't a suggestion. 
This, is, this verse isn't something that we can brush over. This isn't a verse that's like, if it works for you, this isn't even just a cool piece of theology that we can care with, that we can talk about with people. This is a command right from the get-go. We are to be the following. So, having that context here, going into this, we know that whatever comes next, we must do. So, be, command. The second word, sober. Now, what does it mean to be sober? Most times, I think people, um, they tend to equate sobriety to alcohol or drugs or tobacco. Um, but being sober is just being in a, in a clear state of mind, being under the influence of nothing. And I think that sometimes we can equate it with those things um, like drugs and alcohol, but we forget that we can get drunk off a lot of other things in society. We can be drunk off entertainment. We can be drunk on food. We can even be drunk on friends and family. Not that those things are bad. It's just that when we get so invested in these things, we tend to lose focus and our state of mind can be radically altered from what we're supposed to be. So, first, thing, first word B is a command. The second word, sober. Why are we sober? Well, it learns right here in the next, it shows us right here in the next word. Be vigilant. Now, I don't know how many of you have been around someone who has just gotten their wisdom teeth out. Um, it's hilarious, and I recommend that you watch lots of videos on that. But when I got my wisdom teeth out, I was not very sober or vigilant. I was in a very weird state. There's a video of it somewhere on YouTube that you could probably find of me babbling my words, not being able to control myself because I'm under the influence of such hard um, sedatives. My point in that is saying that if we aren't sober, then we can't be vigilant. It's impossible. Now, what is vigilant? Vigilant pretty much just means to be on guard, to be in constant just to be on constant guard, knowing that there's a threat coming and to be prepared for it so that we're not caught off guard. We must be sober to do that, and we must because this is a command. So, kind of recap where we are. B, we have to be sober so that we can be vigilant. The next little phrase here tells us why we need to be vigilant, and this verse, or this next little phrase is kind of frightening, especially for me. Um, but it says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary. Now, again, this verse, or this little phrase here is only three words, but there is a lot of pack, a lot packed into this, a lot of implications. If we read, for your, that immediately identifies that the problem isn't way away from us. I think that us as Christians tend to think that, you know, the devil is out there somewhere, um, but it seems so distant, so far away. Um, but it's not. It's your adversary. This is your problem. This isn't just something that we can consciously leave just knowing that it'll, be, it'll take care of itself. This is something that we have to be on guard for. So for your identifies that it is our problem. The word adversary is immediately followed that. An adversary is pretty much an arch nemesis, somebody that despises you. Um, and so we can see right now that... Uh, we have a command to be sober so that we can be vigilant because we have an enemy. Now, I, I, I mean, you know, in, in life, you know, you, you kind of, you meet people, you wrong people, you do some things wrong. You're like, I have a couple enemies, you know, and normally it's just kind of that. It's just kind of a shallow, broken relationship, but not this one. This one's a very different, a very different kind of adversary. The adversary is named directly after when it says the devil. 
Now, if you read through the Hebrew translation of the Bible, um, the Hebrew word Satan means adversary. And a lot of times in the Hebrew Bible, it just says the Satan. And so what's, what the implication is there is that this isn't just an enemy. This isn't just a threat. This is the number one adversary. This is the threat. This is the problem. I know that, you know, in life we can tend to think that, you know, when I was four, I accidentally stepped on someone's toes and, you know, they never forgot about it. But that doesn't matter right now because we have one main threat, and that is Satan. The Satan, our adversary. So, we need to, we are commanded to be sober so that we can be vigilant because we have an arch nemesis named the devil. Whew, that's kind of a rough start. I know, it's a little bit frightening to think about all that. Um, unfortunately, it gets a little worse. If we read the last, the last sentence here, it says, uh, the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. This isn't just somebody that's satisfied with victory. They want to eradicate the competition. There can be nothing left to Satan because he hates us, he hates God. There can be nothing left. And he is actively trying to look for ways to destroy us. Yikes. <laughs> I know that's probably not how you thought you'd be spending your morning talking about uh, the devil trying to harm you. But... I just want to point out to you that we have a very, very big problem here, and I think that it's so easy for us to just brush that off as just spiritual mumble-jumble out in like the outer worlds of who knows what. This is a real threat, and it's such a real threat that Peter went out of his way to describe in great detail and in great kind of artistic flair, we're talking about the, the, the lion seeking whom he may devour, um, he went out of his way to intentionally mention to the Christians at that time that they are not safe. They are in danger, that this is a threat much bigger than persecution, a threat much bigger than government at the time, a threat much bigger than themselves even. This is a, this is a threat that is a global threat, and it's geared directly towards you and me. Now, if that's where this kind of all ended, that would be a little bit of an unfortunate ending. You know what I mean? I mean, it's a great warning, and I mean, it makes sense, and I appreciate we should appreciate that Peter went out of his way to tell us that there is this threat. We, like, that's a good thing. We, we need to know what we're up against if we are to do anything. But is it enough to just be sober and to just be vigilant? Well, I mean, the short of it is no. Um, person that's on guard can't stop an invasion by himself. Uh, it's not enough for us to just be in a state of mind where we can feel like we can take this on. It's not enough for us to be... Uh, on guard even, and it, it really isn't even enough for us to fight, because on our own power, we got nothing. Um, but that's where the beauty of the, of the Bible comes in, is that if you read through it, you, God, Jesus never told us to go on an offensive. Jesus never told us to fight back. Jesus never told us that we need to um, actively search for, you know, the, the, the powers of darkness around there and, and try to destroy them. There's a much, a much, smaller, seemingly smaller solution that I think that we can equally brush off as being um, jargon that all Christians say. Uh, but this small little solution has amazing, amazing implications to our entire faith and to who we are as Christians. So just to recap verse 8 here, there, we are commanded 
to be sober so we can be vigilant because we have a very, very big threat named the devil who is actively and trying to destroy our way of life. But it keeps going. If we read through verse 9, verse 9 says, Resist him steadfast in the face, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. The short answer is here, teamwork. Now again, like I said, this seems like such a small, minute thing. It doesn't seem like it would really mean anything. If we read through that, it's like, yeah, I know, I, I get it, that if we work together for a common goal, you know, everybody knows this. Everybody knows that um, two heads are better than one. But I, th- I think that we need the reminder of that sometimes because I don't think we live that way. How many times have you heard people say, if you want something done right, do it yourself? Or how many times have you heard about in- it being an introvert and being socially drained? I mean, these are all real things. It's just, you know, this is, like an, this is a, a doctrine that's been indoctrinated into us. Uh, the solution that Peter gives uh, is one or is to rely on one another and to not face the adversary alone. In fact, the advice he gives isn't for us to fight at all. If you read at the very beginning here, it says, resist him steadfast in the faith, not moving, not budging. We aren't to go forward. We aren't to step back. We stand our ground in our faith, knowing that the person beside us is going through the same struggles as we are. We're only as strong as the person beside us. Now, this is very interesting because, like Pastor Jake, I'm a very big fan of, uh, of history. I love history. Um, I love the history of the Bible. And this book was written in 66 AD, um, or around that time, when there was a really big war in Judea. Uh, and because of this war, all of the Christ-believing Jews were scattered amongst the, amongst the entire kingdom, um, across the entire known world at the time. So it's a little bit weird to think that the advice that Peter gives these people who are under extreme persecution that are miles and miles and kilometers and kilometers apart from each other, the advice he gives is to stand firm together. It is very weird. Uh, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And knowing that history, it sounds slightly familiar, I guess, today. Uh, it's a little bit relatable because right now, I mean, we're dispersed. It's not persecution. It's a virus. Um, and it's not aimed specifically at us, but because of this virus, we're not, we're not allowed to gather. I mean, we're only at 30% capacity. Uh, we're apart right now. And it's hard, and I understand that. But the reason that Peter can give the advice to these people to stand together, and the reason that, that Peter can say, even though that you're in Asia Minor, and you're in the capital, and you're over here, and you're over here, the best way to fight this, or the best way to stand firm in this battle is to stand together is because this building is not the church. Their buildings were not the church. Meadowbrook in town isn't the church. First Baptist isn't the church. We as believers are the church. Colossians 1.24, I'll read it to you. It says, Now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake and in my flesh. I do not share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. If you read through the New Testament, almost always the church is referred to as a people group, not a building. Almost always the body of believers is depicted as one body, not scattered people. 
And so, yeah, we can blame our government, and we can blame a virus, and we can blame persecution, but the fact of the matter is that no matter how far apart we are from each other, we're still part of the same body. And it gives us no excuse to fall into, fall into that kind of idea of, oh, I, I can be by myself today. I need some alone time. You can't do that because you're a part of one body. If we read the story of Jesus, Jesus never really had alone time. The only times that he was by himself is when he was praying. And he was just that. He was by himself. But he wasn't alone. He was, the only times when he was by himself, he was praying to God. And like 24 feet that way, there were 12 guys waiting for him. Or a crowd of hundreds. Jesus didn't have me time. And it, it, would, it would be horrible if all of a sudden one day Jesus was like, I'm going to need to take a day. I'm a little tired. I'm going to need to take a second. Uh, I'm, I'm a little socially drained today. That kind of would have jeopardized a major part of his ministry. So it's very easy for us to get caught up in that. And I think that the reason that it's so easy for us to say those things is because the devil knows that we are stronger as one body. He knows that because we are believers in Christ and he knows that because Christ is the head of one body and he knows that because we are the church, it's easier for him to divide and conquer. Because who does a lion go for when he's hunting? Does he go for the ones that are close-knit in the pack or does the lion hunt for the lame and the sick and the ones that are separated from the pack? The ones way at the back that are still at the watering hole, everybody else has moved on. He always goes for the, the, the lion always goes for the ones that are alone, the easy targets. Right now, we are easy targets. Right now, we are in, in the midst of a historical event that is, is, is groundbreaking. This pandemic is, is big. Um, and because we're all separate, it's very easy for us to get complacent and be okay with that, uh, that we're alone. But all those things that I mentioned from verse 8 about this lion looking to destroy you, looking to devour and conquer and, and, and kill, you're the target. And so am I. And so is every believer that professes Jesus Christ. And if we're happy and content with being completely alone and separated from everybody, we're easy pickings. That's just the long and short of it. Like I said, have you ever heard the expressions, uh, like, expressions like, I don't feel so, like, I don't feel like going out today. This is, a, this is an indoctrination that we have started to see recently because way back in 66 AD, Persecution was the reason that all those people were separated. And what happened? The church grew and grew and grew and prospered and became, yes, they were persecuted and yes, they were destroyed, but it grew rapidly and became a world religion. Satan learned from that and now he found a way better solution. That's complacency. That's the idea that I don't need to go to church this week. I don't need to watch church on my TV this week. It's okay. Complacency is the biggest problem facing, our, facing us as Christians because once we're comfortable, once we think we're safe, that's when we're easy targets. So, what does this all mean for us today? Well, I mean, it means that we need to band together as Christians, as one body, as one believer and be there for each other. And that's so difficult. I know that it, like in my own experience, people have asked me to be accountability partners. I don't know if you've heard of that expression or, um, you know, like mentors or whatever. And I'm horrible at it. I forget to text. I, I stay at home. It's easier for me to just be like, hey, 
I'm busy this week, you know, I'm really bad at it. And in my experience with people that I've asked, it looks like a lot of people are really bad at it. And that's nobody's fault per se. It's just that we, as a culture, have become so comfortable with the idea of being alone and with the idea of everybody's dealing with their own sin and every man for himself and survival of the fittest that, uh, you know, it really impacts our relationships. God made us to be relational beings, and that's why he created the church. That's why he created one body with Christ as the head, because he knew that in order to survive, in order to be safe from these threats, um, in order to be uh, safe from the threat of incoming disaster, we'd have to band together. We'd have to be together as one body, as one mind, and as one church. That's all I have for you today. Um, I think I'm going to wrap up in prayer then, and then after that I can let Pastor Jake come up here. God, thank you so much uh, for the opportunity that I had to come up and to share my words, Lord. Um, Thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for the Godhead. Thank you so much for your people, God. And thank you so much that we don't have to be afraid of, of whatever's out there. Thank you so much that we don't have to fear what tomorrow is going to bring. Thank you so much that we don't have to worry about being attacked, Lord, because you have given us the ultimate solution, and that is us. That is each other, God. Bless the rest of this day, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.